This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Beyond Click Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. <laughs> We're going to talk about The Gripping Hand, a 1993 novel by Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. A sequel to a 1974 novel by Larry Jippen, Larry Niven, and Jerry Purnell. Um, I had a hard time getting through both of them in two weeks, um, mostly because they're just really long. Um, how did I started you, early. How did you manage it, Paul? I, I started a month oh, ago. Misa? Yeah. Well, a month ago? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started early. I, I started a while ago too to make sure I could get through them because they are they are not. Whiplash, smart, short. They are uh, long, uh, long runs. Yeah, it's longer. Four hundred one pages the, for the sequel, well, and it's five hundred thirty-seven for the pre uh, for the first book. Yeah, that that went much longer than I thought it did. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I remembered it. It's like, oh my god, it's still going. Oh my god, it's still going. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this is this long digression sitting on the pla- on the planet with the. With the three midshipmen are going to die. I forgot about this digression that just goes and goes and goes. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like a no- yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. It's like a novella in the middle of the novel. Yeah, yeah. Very different from the protector that he just like you know went in, did the did the did his deed and got out. Yeah, I think part of part of it is um uh it, how where does Larry Niven end and Jerry Purnell begin is I think Larry Niven's the aliens. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously that's not how it was written. I would agree. Not having read one word of Jerry Purnell, I would agree that Larry Niven, because his aliens were very similar in a way to the pack. Mm-hmm. Having read a bunch of Jerry Purnell, yeah, I, I would say Jerry Purnell did this, did all the uh, the human and especially the military stuff because he's written a ton of that, and mm-hmm. Larry Niven st- stuck to the Modis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, we read both. It's a reread for me on uh, Moat and God's Eye, which uh, I think still holds up as a terrific book. Um, what did we think of the sequel? Um, uh, I'm going to say that I would have been Joyce, only I was wearing my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> but I spent half the book saying, what what's happening? I don't understand. Can somebody please explain this to me? Mm. Where are we? Who who are these people? Like I was lost. Mm. Just too much military, too many battles, too many factions. Mm. I just wanted to take my camera and you know go watch Netflix for a while. It was- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I had not remembered, but apparently I had read this before. Oh okay. I, I had completely forgotten I had done so because as this thing's going along, saying, "Oh yeah, that's right. This is the planet where they think they're Modis, but they really aren't. Right? There are no Modis. Oh, and now we're going to have the the secret uh, tram line appear, and they're going to have to stop them there. That's right. And they're going to go into the moat system. That's right. And and when they go back in, like, oh yeah, they're running for the other point. It's like, okay, I, I was remembering. I'm remembering these plot beats. Mm. But it's not the first novel. The first novel is longer, but it's it's more muscular. If that makes sense to both of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has it has the um, 
you know, it has the true first contact where this is, you know, let's go back to that first contact, right? It's like you went on the ride and then you say, let's go on the ride again. <laughs> it's not the same yeah. as the first time you go on the ride, right? But mm-hmm. that, I think that that, uh, that phenomenon is actually why people um, go back on rides, you know, or watch movies again is because they had so much fun on the first ride. Um, so You like this? Here we go. Here you are again. More of the same. Yeah, exactly. But, but not so much. Exactly. Um, um, there were some things I did didn't re- well, I, I only remember the floppies. There were some things about this I liked. Um, I mean, my, my so you talked about all the factions and all the stuff going on and being very complicated. But I kept tr- I kept looking at this novel, looking at the first novel, seeing okay, where have things gone? Where are things progressing? Like, okay, I think I see what they're doing here but now. The two you may have not seen, or may not care, or may not. Or may disagree with me, but it looks like to me that because we this is set a couple of decades after the first novel, mm-hmm. and it, it feels to me that the empire is not as um, robust as it was twenty five years ago, or yeah. whatever time it is. If it, it feels like the empire is kind of slipping, there's the nobles are a little more uh, agitated. They're a little less able to handle the allies, maybe because they've spent all these resources sitting with a fleet sitting in the merchant system, blasting modis that come out. They're privileged. In, they're, they're talking about the privileges, not their responsibilities. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That, that, yeah. They're talking about their privileges, not their responsibilities. So it feels like this is a, almost like a criticism in some ways of what happens to feudal governments over time. Or maybe I'm overreading. No, 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 no. You're not overreading at all. That's all. I think that's the only point that this book has, other than you know, let's go back and visit again. Um, but that was the same point as it was in the first book as well, right? Um, but in the first book, it feels more like on the side of okay, yeah, we will do our duty, and duty is important, and we will do our duty. Here's here's people have to be kick, kicking and screaming into their duty, and yeah. sometimes just not doing it. Whereas the first book. Like yes, sir. We for the for the good of the empire of man, we will do this. Mm-hmm. We will they were shinier. Will... They were. They were much shinier. Thank you. Well, what <laughs> what what it is, I think, is it's like, um, in the first book, they're they're coming out of World War II. It's 1945. The military's all polished up. You know, everybody's a veteran. Everybody's uh, knows exactly what the job is. And then, huh. We just discovered a whole place that is not related to any of the stuff we're we're doing, right? It's it's uh-huh. not taking, um, you know, 1939 uh, USA uh, uh, Navy and and doing something. It's taking the you know four or five years of hard battling um, and and throwing them into a situation, and then they get to rest on their laurels for 25 years, right? Um, d- doing what is essentially the least interesting duty ever, right? Just a block. Blockade. Imagine a blockade of Cuba for 25 years. Oh wait, I, I guess we can do that, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not great. It's not, it's not a great uh, duty. Um, and so people, you know, t- get into graft and all that stuff. There's a very cool uh, thing going on in the first book, and I think it's it's echoed in the second. 
Um, but uh, I'm, what's I, that? I far prefer the first book. It's so in re-listening to it, I, I guess I didn't notice it uh, the as much the first time. Although I didn't go back and listen to the podcast we did uh, on it, so I can't remember if I said this on there. But um, what's interesting is the ex, the ex, circular spiraling down or crash and recovery that you see on Moat Prime. Mm-hmm. is uh, echoed in the humans in their multiplanetary system uh, system of empire, right? So mm-hmm. they blast people back to the Stone Age, right? Uh, yep. With their nukes or asteroid bombing or whatever. Um, the moats are uh, the modis are not different from people in uh, some certain special way which is basically evolutionarily except in the ways that they're different evolutionarily that's the only difference i think is the uh, kind of the point about these intelligent creatures is um as a whole they're exactly like us well um, except that we have a better capacity for co- for cooperation that, <laughs> yeah that was like a, a major point that yeah, they the- well, yes, but what, what did they just finish doing in the first book, right? Is they they just came off of a, an well, operation basically destroying a planet, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, in, in a certain essence. And I think I think that uh, codicil to the uh, will in uh, Horace Burry's thing is supposed to try and affect the same sort of bandwagon status as mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh let's all get into the empire sort of thing um and i also liked i also liked and i didn't notice this the first time in reading the first book and i guess it it's there in the second book as well is that uh this is kind of um larry niven jerry Purnell version of uh isaac asimov's foundation except with a lot more military right <laughs> Um, a lot more military because yeah. uh, the museums uh, and remember there's a specific I wish they had gone into that more in the second book in uh, The Gripping Hand is that there's this museum out on the edge of the Oort Cloud in uh, moat, moat Space right that, the Library of Babel right that mm-hmm. has uh, yeah, they're that very cool. poor but they're, they're doing the same job as as uh, as the foundation is supposed to do, right? In That's right. I never thought of that. That's cool. It is. Yeah, cool. we don't see enough of them. No, we don't. There's a, there, there are way too many space battles and uh, there's a it's so much space. But I mean, the, I mean, in the first novel, we have well, let's see. We 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 get the we get described what happened in Yushikai. We don't actually get a space battle. We get the ships go to the moat system. There's the MacArthur gets destroyed by Lenin and that's it for space battles in the it's first a great novel. Space battle though because that one's a you, great one. You yeah. didn't know what was going on and like when uh when Burry is tra- traumatized by seeing that uh spacesuit full <laughs> yeah full of the, the watchmakers. Oh god, wouldn't that give you nightmares? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You can understand why he went so rapidly anti-Modi after that. It's like, oh my God, what, what I could have brought this back to the exactly. Empire. <laughs> yeah, killed them with fire. And I, I did, uh, I did enjoy aspects of the second book. Absolutely, um, 
the gripping hand uh, has. I, I actually kind of like the sequence on the the snow planet or whatever it was with um, the. With that giant furry thing? Yeah. The oh yeah, s- yeah, we, yeah. With the wampa thing. Like, ghost. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ghost of a yeti that flies or something. Um, I, I kind of like that section. T- I like that better than the all Mormons the battles. And, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it was a nice false blind. Like, okay, are the Modis really secretly here? No, <laughs> it just turns out that two veterans from the original novel here have acculturated the place and the mystery of, well, what, what are they really doing? Oh, there's a temporary jump path to an Audi system. That's what they're hiding all this time, which actually reminds me, you can tell I, in my day, I've read a lot of Ch- Pornell and uh, Niven uh, stories. There's a early Niv- Pornell story where this is set back before the first empire where a ship where there's a jump, there's a jump line that's considered to be cursed and the ship jumps it. They usually go the long way around. The ship jumps it to find out that sometimes a black hole gets in the middle of that jump line. And you wind up in the system with a black hole and there's a bunch of other stuff there and they have to figure out how to get out. So like a temporary jump path is something that Pornell stole from that story and stuck here, although there's no black hole. That's going to be the story Reflex? Is that the one you're thinking of? That, I'm not sure. I don't that's remember only, the name. That's of. only uh, Larry Niven, Jerry Purnell story other than these two that they work together in this universe. Oh, I think it might be Pornell by itself. Oh, okay. Um, There's a bunch. So basically, the the chronology worked like this, Misa. Um, in 1973, Jerry Purnell published a serialized novel called A Spaceship for King David, a.k.a. King David Spaceship. <laughs> and that uh, must have led to or maybe they were working on it at the same time, but The Moton's God Eye came out in 74. There was a short story, then Purnell writes a whole bunch of novels and short stories um, with Larry Niven writing uh, a short, one co-written uh, story. He wrote a poem, um, and basically it's just Larry, uh, Larry niven lists for the rest of the series other than uh, The Gripping Hand. Where was where did they first talk about the Langston Field? Yeah. Where was that very first mentioned? Because well, I I feel again like I missed something. Like I came in on part two here. I mean even even with the moat in God's eye in terms of that bit of technology. It's in the moat in God's eye for sure. Is that where? No, I know it's there. Is that where they very first? Is that the very first time they talk about it? Or I was would it, assume it's it, in a, a spaceship for King David, but I, I think so because because I when I read about it in Wikipedia and and it finally made sense exactly what it was because mm-hmm. because I didn't know I should have read with Wikipedia before right. reading the books. It would have made it a lot easier. Right. But if you couldn't do that before Wikipedia, though, I, I I believe it does show up in the Codominium stuff before this, yeah. And maybe explained a little better than it's like, oh, here suddenly we have this magic force, quasi-magic force field, and oh, yes, the moats, the Modis can modify it, and they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so the the space battles that, like, I guess one of the things we did when we read Protector, as I was saying, you know, there's no... There's no need to write any more space battles uh, in phys- in regular physics space because this does such a good job of it. So I guess because there's the two technologies that 
uh, I mean, there's there's some fictional technologies in in Protector as well. I mean, a lot of them, right? But they're all uh, supposedly obey the laws of physics. Langston Field, we have no reason to believe that any such thing could exist. Um, and uh, however they, you know, space warp from planet to planet, we have no reason to believe that exists. You know, call it a wormhole, whatever. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's just, you know, hand wavium. Uh, but it gives you an excuse to go to other planets and uh, so systems in reasonable periods of time, which yeah, is fun. I like wormhole subways. Gets sure. us moving. It gets yeah. stuff. Yeah. It gets stuff done. I mean, you can't have Babylon Five without without that. And uh, no, I love right. Babylon Five, so I'm not it, I'm it, not willing to give it up. It, yeah, it, it right. makes it, <laughs> it, it, give up that transportation. That's right, right. It, and it, it makes uh, a, a good sense of how can you have a, a warp drive where you can have space battles if you don't have points where you come zipping out you can predict stuff people that stuff doesn't just show up out of nowhere anywhere mm-hmm. oh yeah and, and and the story i was mentioning before it's called he fell into a dark hole it was written in 1973 so he wrote it just before this novel he must gotcha. have thought hey that's but well actually gripping hands 92 so he must have thought like hey i'll go back and i'll use this idea again kind of sort of mm-hmm. but yeah oh. but, yeah, but that's the black hole the black hole breaking up the alderson line story that but that's just Jerry Pornell by himself. Yeah, I, I mean, but, I could feel the uh, the Jerry. I I, I don't know. I've, I've never read anything by Jerry Pornell except when he writes with Larry Niven. But I know Larry Niven well enough from reading all his stuff to sort of I can see where Larry Niven overlaps with with uh, Pornell. Um, yeah. You know, they have similar interests. That's why they write to the, together. Um, and they're, if you've ever seen them talk, they sort of sound like each other a little bit. <laughs> um, but it is true. Like, uh, the, the empire, that's much more, the idea of an empire is much more, um, Pornell than it is Niven and all that yeah. military stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I can't say, you know, this character is one of Larry Niven's or anything like that, but the. But the the aliens are, and their the stuff going on with them is very good, and I did enjoy that. It's probably why I don't read Pornell by himself. I I kind of like to hear him talk because he talks inter- about interesting subjects. But um, I'm also not as much on series, and he seems to really love series. <laughs> Maybe this is uh, I haven't read. Uh, what other Pornell stuff has he done other than the Codominium stuff? Um, he did the Janus series novels, which is basically a bunch a bunch of U.S. Marines get transported to a planet where humans have been transported for thousands of years, and so they have to try to figure out a way to survive on this planet. The, there's a bunch of descendant Romans running around. There's also there's Vikings. There's all sorts of stuff running around this planet. They're going to run out of bullets soon, so they have to figure out how do we survive on this planet where technology level is about medieval, and we're going to run out of bullets soon. Mm-hmm. Go. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, and, and there and there are uh, murderous centaurs running around too. Oh, murderous centaurs are always fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, the, so I wrote a couple of those. Those aren't bad. Um. So yeah, he's got the pornos. He's got those. Um. Besides that, um, that he hasn't written actually with porn with the Nevin or somebody else. Um. I think that's mainly just short stories. I mean, most of his novels. Fall into the co-dominium stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of them, so it's not like 
he's slacking off or anything. I'm just saying. Right, and he's got a couple different periods. He's got the Janissaries period, and then he has the Empire period, and so yeah, so he's gets, but he makes the Falkenbergs, you know. I've read. He makes uh, a spaceship of the King. I'm looking through his um, <laughs> his list of collaborations with Larry Niven, and that I mean that alone is a huge career, right? Uh, so, Molten God's Eye is their first collaboration. Inferno, which I've read and really enjoyed, um, yeah, me too. Is there, yep. his Lucifer's Hammer, which um, is it's not my favorite of their collaborations, but it's not bad. Um, that's the destruction of the Earth by or quasi destruction of the Earth by a comet, I think, or is it? A- yeah, yeah, co- yeah. Com- comet hits the Earth, knocks civilization back badly yeah mm-hmm. that sounds interesting it is it, interesting. It, 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 it's 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 like one of those 70s disaster novels mm-hmm. exactly yeah, like, and, and plays plays it straight yeah yeah oath of fealty uh which is not great uh it's it's oh uh, yeah yeah set in that's the archaeology one yeah yeah footfall which is their take on uh an invasion of the earth by uh aliens and then that's that's the uh, Second episode, I think you had me, pull, or maybe even the first episode yeah. you pulled onto this podcast for. So yeah, and uh, I I think that was it was decent. Yeah, a legacy of Herat isn't that a sequel to something? No, no, that that's that's that that's a completely different universe where there's slower than light travel. They go to a planet, they colonize, they muck up the local ecology, and the local ecology bites back hard. That's with uh, Steve Barnes as well. So that's Barnes, three yeah. writers. On. Uh, I, I, collaborations are fairly common in science fiction, but three people, I've, that's pretty rare, unless it's one of those series, you know, uh, handed yeah. off relay novels. Um, yeah. That's pretty yeah. unusual. But yeah, that, that's that's not bad. I didn't like the sequel at all, but the first one's not bad. Uh, is the sequel Fallen Angels? Because there's one with... No, no, that's a different series entirely again. Okay. No. I again, the one I haven't read... Fallen Angels with Larry Niven and Michael Flynn. Uh, right. Another yeah, three. That, that, yeah, that's that's the one where they get the, the yeah get the whole global warming is a myth thing. So we stop polluting. So we get nice age and yeah. I the I liked it at the time. Over time, the more I thought about it, the more I hate the politics of that novel. Not to mention of Fallen yeah, Angels. Hope, you mean? Fallen Angels, yeah. The more I think about it, the more I hate the politics of the novel. Well, <laughs> well, one one reason you might hate it is it won the Prometheus Award, which which generally means it's going to be a libertarian or something novel, right? Yeah, it it, it, it has it, it's very anti environmentalists and greens and whatnot. So yeah, yeah. they make fun of them. They they basically blame them for starting an ice age. <laughs> Seriously, I think it's a comedy <laughs> though. Like when they're doing that, it's sort of like let's, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean they have glaciers pushing across North Dakota, so right. yeah. Um, so then it goes to uh, Beowulf's Children, which I guess is another Herat book. What's the, yeah. the Herat yeah, premise, Paul? Uh, well, like I said, the people go to go to go. Colonize the planet by slower than light ships. They land on it. They screw up the ecology. Babel Children is basically set a couple decades after the first novel. They've they've established stuff for a while, and they're now exploring more. And they run into even bigger problems. Not as good as the first. Mm. Mm. And then um, the Burning City, I, I, which I've never even heard of. Um, yes, 
Okay, okay, the Burning City is actually set in Niven's The Magic Goes Away universe. What? You know about Yeah. <laughs> you know the Magic Goes Away universe, I right? I love it. I love the yeah. Magic Goes Away, but I didn't yep, know there was a novel that was the collaboratory novel set in that universe basically set where Los Angeles is now. Okay. Yeah. Basically about this young punk who tries to get out of Los Angeles. This novel has, yeah, has, again, goes overboard with uh, politics. This time it's about taxes, but um, <laughs> it's okay. not – I'm serious. I'm serious. It's I like, believe you. Yeah, it, it, it hits over the head with the hammer. It's not as good as Niven's story, in my opinion. Again, listeners, this is all my opinions. Please don't sh- shoot the podcast. <laughs> You got Jesse. hit by the Niven and Purnell hammer. Uh, <laughs> it got, it, 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 there's too much Purnell in this book. If, if, okay, if you so know what a, I, mean. I, I don't need to ask about the Burning Tower because that says it's a sequel. That's the sequel. Didn't even read it because I was so pissed at the Burning City. Uh, Escape from Hell, I have read. That was a very recent. Um, That's the sequel, to, sequel uh, to Inferno. Yeah, yeah, Inferno, and I would. I I don't remember what I wrote about it in my review, but I would say it was probably unnecessary, <laughs> as are I guess all sequels. But um, most sequels are unnecessary. This is know, this is yeah. this is the Jesse Wills law. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's right. probably I should probably just codify them, right? You should <laughs> for just first law. <laughs> the second law is not needed because it's it's a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Richard Richard Stark laws. <laughs> right, right. Just, uh, but the 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 thing is, is you have to break, have the him bend the rules. Otherwise, there's no, you know, he's just the job goes perfectly, and then there's no book, right? No, yeah, there's no yes. plot. There's no, yeah. So yeah, so that's so. Okay, that then it? it says there's uh, a Lucifer's an- anvil or Samuel's forge. Uh, what? In progress as of 2015. So it sounds like I they're working on something. I had not heard that they were working on another sequel together. Well, I, 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 I know so. I, I know Pornell and Niven both have had health problems, so mm-hmm. we'll see we'll see if that actually ever comes out. I know Niven's collaborated with other people. Um like I told I told I think I mentioned the last time we talked about the novel, he has got that collaboration with Bentford, which is sitting on my Kindle unread that I kinda wanna read. Mm-hmm. The bowl of heaven, if, but I haven't got it. Haven't moved more myself to actually do it yet. So uh, here's a here's a sort of a change track question. But um, who do you think? Uh, I mean, this is maybe that I'm not asking the right question. But who do you think came up with the name Sauron for the name of the planet of the bad guys in the Empire? Was that Pornell making a joke, or is it Larry Niven making a joke, or is it both of them making a joke? Because you know, if you name your planet Sauron, it's <laughs> of course you're going to be the bad guys. Bison, um, I'm going to guess Purnell. I'm gonna, no good reason. It, it, it's like, isn't it too obvious? Like as a, I mean, Sauron, Superman. It's nicely alliterative. It appeal. I think it appeals to Purnell's sensibilities of the idea of super soldiers. Mm, mm. Um. So I yeah I think this you know there are there's a couple of anthologies set on that world right mm, yeah I saw the some. war world yeah with with a variety of authors having written stories set on it yeah so, again more stuff I don't need to read I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, uh, it's one you know branch of SF I have no interest in is military SF really it's just 
There's, it's it's no. like all the parts of SF uh, that is it's like here's the idea is we have a, we have a, a war porn, but we're gonna make them laser guns or you know charging cannons or whatever whatever it is, and it's like then typically what happens is it absolutely doesn't change the battlefield, right? It's it's just allows you to redo. I don't know. You, you can heal wounds faster with, you know, some medical technology. Um, I play a lot of first-person shooter games, and I, I basically will not play any of them that have futuristic techno- technologies in them because of that. Just It just bothers me so much that it's like the whole point of uh, technology is it does the opposite. It changes things, right? And if you just give a person a, a plastic laser cannon and the battles remain, you know, trench warfare or whatever kind of battle you're modeling it on. The, it just doesn't work at all for me. And I, I've never seen a, a real, I don't know, military SF that actually is interested in, in what that would do. So um, I guess that's why I've sort of shied away from, from uh, anything by Purnell alone. Okay, so, so so when I read Sauron, I thought dinosaur. I was like, soar, okay, it's dinosaur oh. strong. Oh, oh, you weren't thinking Sauron as in, no. as in Lord of No, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't, and although I should have. Having done Lord of the Rings, I should have. Yeah, but, yeah. But no, I went a different direction altogether. Yeah, they're spelled differently, right? I, I just assumed that it's spelled Sauron, uh, like the bad guy from... Uh, if you if you look at the text, it is so yeah, it's, it's okay. clearly clearly being lifted. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, 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 I I wanted to also mention that I actually had read this before, but it was on a audiobook as a two cassette audiobook. Can you imagine oh my. how bridge that book is. Oh my! How could you even listen to that? <laughs> well, I started listening to it, and and the narrator who did a, you know. They usually hired really good narrators to do horrible abridgments back in the, I guess it was uh, 93 when it came out, right? <laughs> he basically says, uh, um, what, what's the name of that servant that works for Burry? The assassin guy? Nabil? Nabil. Nabil, coffee! And then the book's over. <laughs> he calls for coffee from his bed. <laughs> and then the book's over, basically. Wow. Um, I, I, I found there's a few mispronunciations in in the sequel, and I think there might even be a couple in the in the in Moat as well by this narrator. Um, but that's not that bad considering how much uh, how much there is that you know sort of unique language and uh, stuff. What did, what did you you didn't probably notice the narrator? No. I, I like I like the narrator, but yeah, I didn't notice a lot of I didn't notice a lot of mis mistakes. There's one or yeah, two I, things here. I was kind of so confused anyway. Probably that was why. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe I mean I, I don't want to poop all over this book, but I, I I think I brought it on myself by thinking, yeah, it's a good idea to do a, a sequel. This is why. <laughs> I sort of stopped doing that. It's not that there's not there's nothing really wrong with it, but I was I was looking around at reviews and people really mm-hmm. don't like it. Um, uh, it's it's got a good you know sort of 
high level one on not it's got a good score on goodreads uh 3.8 i think out of five which is probably pretty good um but uh julie davis didn't want to uh be on the podcast um oh because she just didn't like it yeah she's i think she said it 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 was um uh, ruined the first book or something, and I'm like, well, wow, that's powerful. Wow, that's a strong reaction. Uh, maybe, that's maybe, strong. maybe, maybe she should I'm... To explain to like <laughs> give that point. I might be misremembering what she said exactly, but she she was definitely not into it. Um, and uh, I don't I don't feel that it ruined the first book, but it certainly didn't add enough. I I, I think it was really missing a visit to Moat Prime, even if it had been destroyed. I would have liked to have gone to Moat Prime and having, doing, and having yeah. been destroyed. Mm-hmm. It would have broken up things and, you know, given us a whole other perspective that, you know, we, that we just didn't get. I, this I is see. what happens. We know what happens, but to see it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because we've talked about bombing people back to the Stone Age and them collapsing and falling. But that's tell, not show. Show yep. is always stronger. So actually seeing them in the ruins of their cities – even if, if it's just a flyby, would have been yeah, would have been valuable. Mm-hmm. I can understand why they focused on the asteroid civilizations because that's what was the polity that was going. But it would have been nice to have actually touched down because going back to the moat thing for a moment, I had not remembered from the first novel that the the midshipmen are basically a dead end. They don't yeah. get their they don't get their message off. They mm-hmm. go they 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 discover stuff basically for the reader to find out stuff. Mm-hmm. That's because they mm-hmm. don't ever actually send off the stuff to or any information off to MacArthur and Lennon. They just go discover the truth and then die horribly and tragically. I I think it would have it would have been much better if they had, they had visited there and. Uh, see, the one of the really good things about the book, this this the gripping hand in the first half is is you don't know what's gonna happen, right? Is you see, um, you sort of see like okay, this this thing on this planet and the tracking down Modi threats in in the Empire is it's it's pretty interesting. And then um, when we get the reveal that the one of the uh, Modis is still alive. It's like, wow, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, they should be dead. And and yeah. that's what I like about it is that it's a technological thing, right? So, uh, in the first half of the book, when when that started happening, I was like, oh, okay. This see, this is now this is really interesting SF because one of the things that really changed human society, um, and I guess it's still changing and will change for centuries to come, is uh, birth control pills, right? This is. Mm-hmm. What did he say? That he wants to buy a drink for the guy that invented a condom or something like that. Right. Yeah. There was a, there was a line in there, um, but it, just the fact that um, birth control is possible uh, changes human society quite a bit. And uh, if you can uh, give Modi's this, it will change them fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. So uh, allows the um, the Modis to live longer, right? And there is a, there is some sort of theory that goes with um, you know the reason humans live much longer than dogs, say, um, and other mammals, most other mammals, um, if not all other mammals, actually, is because it takes us a long time to uh, get the tech not technology the the body parts that'll make babies. 
right? It's not, you know, you come out of the womb and uh, a year later you, you've got your own litter, right? It, it's decades in the, at least a decade in the, in the making, right? Um, Modi's seem, you know, they're basically born pregnant. Uh, <laughs> Watchmakers for sure. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, have you seen, a, I've seen like a baby, I've seen like baby calves of moose mm-hmm. a few weeks old and they're already walking and crossing roads with their mom. Right. A baby can't do that. A human baby can't do that. Right. Yeah. And so um, didn't they at some point in the, in the, in uh, the moat, in, in God's eye book, didn't they talk about when they were, t- when they were talking to Sally, uh, didn't they say that they had um, done experiments with birth control, but nobody wanted to take it? Like it was something that they explored, wasn't it? Yeah. Because yeah, was but that was crazy Eddie, right? <laughs> it was just, it was just... well, but they think anything that's not in their normal cycles is crazy Eddie. So there's a tragic fatalism to the modis that they don't mm-hmm. want to try anything new because trying and, and you can you can see the kind of see their point i'm going to mm-hmm. defend the modis for a second yep because they're all bottled up in this system all the resources they ever are going to ever have are there so if you are going to waste resources to try to do something unproven you are Reducing your survival fitness for your own children if it should fail. So why would any keep any master of any sort want to do this? Because you're you, you, you're hurting you're hurting your kids. Yep, that's actually um, uh, when you put it that way, it makes it sound like it's almost a, the explanation that um, super conservative people <laughs> have with regard to like. <laughs> Uh, government uh, trying to fix things, right? It's like, uh, I got mine, Jack, and what you're saying is take stuff away from me to try and maybe think, make, maybe make things better. You think government regulation is going to help things? All I know is it's taking stuff away from me, and it's a fool's errand, you bleeding, mm-hmm. blah, 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 mm-hmm. right? Yep. So that logic of um, there's no point to it because it's, it's, it's all a boondoggle. Um, you know, it's not completely wrong in that there's tons of government waste. Um, a witness, you know, pretty much uh, every country in the world, right? There's some sort of foolish activity going on, duplication. Um, and, you know, whenever I think of problems of this kind, I can think to, you know, many such in the United States, you know, the fact that uh-huh. there's how many, uh, like 18 different levels of uh, um, policing in the United States. It's just like, oh my God! <laughs> you got the state police, you got the 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 uh, county police, you've got the city police, you've got the FBI, you've got the mail police, you've got the sh- marshal's office, right? You got the CBE, yeah. <laughs> there's uh, the d- drug enforcement. There's uh, uh, um, ATF. Yeah, there's, there's basically, and there's lots of other ones that we never even think about because they're just sort of in the background and um, they don't make waves like the other ones do, right? So, how did this come to be? All I can tell you is it was a mistake of some kind, and however, however, to fix it, it isn't to add more agencies, right? Maybe delete a whole bunch and and replace them with one. Um, I'm very thankful that uh, we only have basically the one in my 
area, right? There's the local RCMP and that's it, right? Hmm. Um, and Micey, you've got uh, you've got two, right? There's the RCMP We've got the OPP and the OPP. Yeah, Terry Open. And one time somebody came knocking on my door and it was the weed police because <laughs> my neighbor didn't like <laughs> that we hadn't. The, the weed police? Up. The weed police. We moved into the house. I didn't have a lawnmower. And within three weeks, the weed police were at my house. That's like bylaw enforcement, you mean? Yes. <laughs> Which yes. is just wow. the city saying, we're going to give you a ticket <laughs> if you don't mow your lawn. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, their arrest powers are not uh, quite as <laughs> No, they, they, they didn't have handcuffs on them. That's right. Um, <laughs> Paul thought it was going to go a different way with the weed police. Yeah, I, I, when you said weed police, I immediately jumped, I jumped oh, to the marijuana. We visited the weed police before on other matters, the other weed police. <laughs> Oh my God! Those, those were those were different years, those were different decades. <laughs> See, I think that's actually probably what will happen um, in the states when when somebody gets their act together enough to to uh, pass a new legislation that allows uh, marijuana, you know, countrywide instead of just Jesse. The way they're going to sell it to the establishment, right? The way they're going to sell it is say. Everything's going to be good because now we've got this new agency that's going to police it. Because not, that's not a, that every crisis they just make a new agency. Yeah, they do. They did that. But yeah, the, that's how you wound up the Department of Homeland Security. Exactly. It's not going to happen under this so, administration so because I can yeah. kind of see why the Modis would be like that, right? And uh, and this also goes to the I remember at the time when those books <coughs> sort of anti. Um, anti-Greenpeace books that Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell were putting out. Oath um, of Fealty is very much. Books? Well, yeah, they're they're like sort of, um, they're both conservative, and I think Purnell's even more conservative. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Purnell's definitely more to the right than Niven. Niven wrote a story where he kind of said that libertarianism was a bad thing. That's Cloak of Anarchy. Oh, he wrote okay. a story, yeah, where 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 he points out that pure libertarianism is bad, but I think oh, it's real Cornell's, bad. There's no question. But, but I think Cornell was for it, but but so. I I give a lot of American Americans a, I mean, you got you guys got problems that, you know, libertarianism seems reasonable when you've got problems that are of this kind, but. Yeah, I mean, libertarianism is, is completely nuts. Um, however, uh, <laughs> um, the the thing is, is there are a lot of crazy people who are into environmentalism, um, and there's also a ton of people who are who are just thinking, you know, let's not poison ourselves to death, let's not do X, Y, and Z. But there are people who who like like they don't know what they're talking about, and so they. They think we just gotta, you know, do everything green, crunchy granola, and things are gonna be great. So I think what what probably happened to get Larry Niven into that sort of uh, basket of deplorables, <laughs> right, <laughs> is, <laughs> is um, that you know that you rub up against uh, people who are just completely nuts um, for whatever it is, right? If you know, if you have libertarian leanings, you know, like uh, you think it's a bad idea to uh, to restrict people's free speech, which I agree with, and you think it's a bad idea to um, 
uh, spend too much money on uh, give the government too much money because they spend it all on military adventures overseas. I'm I'm with you, right? But when you say we we don't need roads, <laughs> we don't need a unitary monetary system. Uh, and we have to base everything on, in the unitary monetary system if we have one on gold, uh, like gold extraction is is a proven technology to uh, save the world. Um, <laughs> I think you're wrong, right? So I I would guess that Cornell was really excited about uh, a book, and Niven had some sort of reaction, and then it got together, and and it turned into a like, oh my God, what are you doing, Larry? Because that that was not my uh, I was like, dude, what are you doing? But so, sorry, I, I kind of understand. Sorry? What was that one called? Uh, hmm. That, that's the one, Paul, you read, right? Or Oath of Fealty. Know about? What's it called? Oath of Fealty, isn't it? Oath of uh, Fealty. No, Oath of Fealty. Yeah. Oh, you said about Fallen Angels, yes. Fallen Angels, I guess. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that that's the one that goes. Yeah, that really takes a big whack at environmentalists. But both of fealty does. That's too a libertarian because, as well. One, right? Yeah, yeah, because you have you because you, you have the the psycho greeners who want to blow up the arcology, and therefore all greener environmental people are bad. Right. But in, yeah, in fallen angels they cause an ice age. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, like, it's kind of like let's go the other way, right? Um. So. It's it, it's hard to talk about topics like this because people get their dander up real easy, right? You know, oh, it, no. it's a, a cherished <laughs> cherished uh, religion that I have that you know, and, and nothing Anne Rand ever wrote was wrong, or whatever it is, um, and uh, that's scary. But um, I, what, going back to the the book we were talking about, uh, the gripping hand. Um, I think I think if we had had a few less space battles, if they got off the ship, I mean, I like Horace Burry and all, but he didn't leave that bathtub basically for the whole half, the second half of the book. Well, he yeah. is old, Poor but guy. yeah, and uh, but, I, I like him in his in his bathtub or his chair or whatever. Um, a viewpoint character is supposed to be runner. He was in the first novel. He's he's the quintessential. Tour the Empire tourist who winds up in this novel getting roped into being part of the Empire against his will. And mm-hmm. and by the end of the novel, of course, with the will, like, okay, I'm going to have a piece of the corporation now, so I'm going to be stuck managing things whether I like it or not. Poor, poor Kevin Renner. He's not going to be able to eat those those living... Cradling grapes! Right. Those things anymore. His days of of culinary adventure seem over to me. Yes, I I I I remember when first reading this novel years ago, and then listening to this again and whatnot. I, I I really like I'd really like to be Kevin Runner because I can imagine traveling the Empire with a camera, seeing things, mm-hmm. having, having adventures. I mean, getting roped. He was he was the Errol Flynn of space. That's a great way. Yeah, of putting that's a good it, way so. of putting that. Yeah. Because yeah, he he he's got that he's got. I mean, I mean, not quite James Bond, but he does have a girl in every port. He does. But and, and when he's not doing that, he's matchmaking other people, mm-hmm. which is even funnier. Which Bond, Bond doesn't do. He's like, oh yeah, you match matchmaking uh, Rod and Sally in the first novel, and uh, and 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 uh, Freddie and uh, the daughter in this one. So it's like, 
He's breeding Blaine's, as I think. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I like the one. The one uh, species that I liked was those rats. Those those moldy rats with. Oh those- God. Yeah, I, I have to steal those for a role-playing game because those things are scary and evil. Those were great. Those were great. Like, if, if, there, if there had been more of that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? More Niven, less Purnell. I mean... More Niven. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I, 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 I got to think that that's right. Um, I, w- I also wanted to point out that the, the British release or the UK release of this book um, actually might have a better title. It's called The Moat Around Murchison's Eye. And it says it's sometimes spelled M-O-T-E, but uh, M-O-A-T, the moat around Murchison's eye. This is actually a, sort of a, you know, it's a... That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It gives you a sense of um, of what's going on. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah, because they have the system under siege. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a blockade and, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and also the fact that it's around... Uh, makes you think of um, the adventures that are happening prior to them actually going in, right? And, uh, yeah, there was just a little bit too much space battle, and if if it had been more aliens, (laughs) more aliens, more dealing with the aliens... More planets. More planets. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even really get to spend much time on the the rat-infested... starships or you know we don't really get to see uh i think there's a couple of points of view where they talk to um to the baddies you know the bad modis Mm -hmm. but it's not enough it's almost all from uh the one side so there's a lot of uh helmsman full speed ahead sort of stuff i I, I did i did like the stuff set on on the on on sparta though on Yep. Yep. Because as you're describing the geology and topography of Sparta, my 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 my, my little geological and topological article, like, ooh, that sounds like an interesting continent. It's small. It's rocky. It's spiny. It curls in. <laughs> Where's a map when I need one? And, and sadly, <laughs> tragically, there's no map of Sparta. It's like, damn it. And it's smart too. In in the many aspects, there's places where the, you know generally i would say it's it's not a great book however there's so many good little touches here and there that you know i think oh larry niven's really interested in this <laughs> i'm forgetting yeah. it. anything bad i'm just attributing to pornell and that probably is not right but we, we might a, be on being unfair to dr pornell uh, absolutely uh, um because i do find him when he talks very interesting when i've seen him in interviews or he's on uh a podcast or whatever. He's very, but he does like his floaty space battles and Marines too, yeah, a little too uh, much. Yeah. So, so one of the things when they visit Sparta, they talked about um, this, an issue that's really big where I live, which is agricultural land reserve. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. British Columbia is basically a series of mountains, <laughs> right? There's mountains, there's a couple of islands and it's mountains from, uh, the coast to Alberta. There is a top right-hand corner of British Columbia has a little flatland, but it's quite far north. So you know, whatever kind of farming you're doing, it's 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 grain, but it's not gonna it's it's not you know all year round. And you know we've got a in the Okanagan there's some orchards and stuff like that. It, but basically we don't have a ton of uh, land that could be used to farm. 
And that's a problem. If you have a big population, you need to have a supply of food. That's explicitly in Sparta, the, the Sparta visit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. If you want to not be wholly dependent on imports and, of course, fresh food and all that, um, you have to ha- reserve land for uh, agriculture that would be otherwise um, turned into housing. And we've got a huge housing problem here. Um, and there is a lot of, uh, in the lower mainland, which is basically the delta of the Fraser River, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure to take land out of the agricultural land reserve and turn it into condos or, uh, you know, housing tracts, what have you. And so just a little touch like that, it's it's good because it's it's not like, how's that one in, in Star Wars work? In Star Wars, every planet is just one thing, right? So this Tatooine is just a desert from pole to pole, right? And then, I don't know, there's Hoth, right? Hoth is the ice world and Dagobah's... Just gas, right? Dagobah's the swamp world. And Coruscant's just the city world, which is kind of like Foundation. Exactly. And I'm saying, like... Coruscant is complete bullshit, right? <laughs> because even if you had a city world, where is the food coming from? Basically, they'd have to be... Uh, when Larry Niven does something, right? Um, if they have... Uh, what's the name of that? Um, the Fleet of Worlds planet? Puppeteer Prime or whatever it's called? Yeah. Right? yeah they the have puppet- four farming yeah. planets in orbit with them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They think about it. They have to be nice and close. So that's what I like is there are – it's almost worth reading just for the touches like that that make you say, oh, yeah, this is interesting. This is why I read science fiction. And sort of uh, the fact that you know it's revisiting things and not giving you as much of, of what you loved in the first book, um, I think that's uh, – it's almost worthwhile – we didn't really um, go oh. through it separately with you, Misa. So, and Paul, I know you loved the first book as well. So I just wanted to see what your thoughts on it were reading the reading Moten God's Eye, uh, as separate from Gripping Hand. What what was your experience? Well, the the Moten God's Eye was great. Uh, it was a, um, I loved. I just loved um, the whole concept of of the Motis and and all the different iterations of them and um i couldn't really relate to their birth control problems because uh but but i i found it really interesting it reminded me a little bit because uh i'm not deep in in all of the uh previous books from that you guys are of the zindi from star trek enterprise five i haven't i didn't watch that far into enterprise Tell me. About oh, it was a whole season. They spent one whole season um, battling this the, this planet where it, that was made up of five different um, species, and 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 they wanted to uh, um, kill Earth because they thought Earth was going to um, destroy their planet. So it was this planet with, that was made up of, of all these different species. But the thing about them was they could cooperate, mm-hmm. so it was a little different. But um, no, I, I really liked. Um, the, it needs it needs to be like their um, everything needs to be simpler, right? On TV or movies, right? So they, the, the that's what I love about novels is they can have these sort of complex relationships. Um, 
that you know that's what's so cool about the Modis, right? And mm-hmm. one, and the very the, spe- the specificity of it, you know, the ones exactly. that can that become that become like you. Of course, you're gonna like somebody that's exactly like you, and you're gonna trust them. Like that's really that's really cool. Yeah, it's know? totally cool. And the, so, and the uh, fact that they they um, uh, the, that scene where uh, what's her name uh, the girl from the first book Sally uh, Sally when Sally uh, is talking with her Modi and she says uh, and how do you how do you avoid getting pregnant and she, and the Modi says oh yes the same as you <laughs> a girl yeah. just doesn't have sex. She's oh my god see now see that kind of stuff is so annoying though like that kind of attitude it, which was pervi- was was in both books oh you just abstain you just abstain girls just uh, abstain. The, i think there was progress i mean at least the one from the 70s is it has the excuse of it's it's from the 70s there was a little bit of uh progress for the 90s but not actually much. not much the parents were still against it i, I agree the kids were, However, were speaking uh, I'm more interested in the fact that the the girl Modi is actually lying, right? And that yeah. is important in this in this book, and it's important in the first book as well. But the fact that the Modis, um, they're just like you, but they're also liars, right? Uh, because they're not. They're n- the only time they will like sort of abandon all orders is uh, when they go crazy Eddie, which is like, um, here's the system we've got. Uh, it's really it, it, it it's inevitable it's unavoidable and this is kind of the issue that I really really liked about the first book and this mm-hmm. book but more importantly the first uh, Mountain God's Eye in comparison to the uh, protector that we read is that it's all about the fate right it's uh, what sense of I think the lines right even in uh, Mountain God's Eye there's very free little free will about a Modi. Right, that's straight out of per- Protector. That is, it is, yeah. And the and fact that um, they're so bound up with this cycle um, that they can't get out of, that they they'll lie to hide it, right? They'll do anything to get out of the cycle in a kind of a quasi hope, but also uh, there's no point to it, right? So the fact that they're pushing so hard. To like that's why I think the space battles are kind of stupid. Is kind of missing the point. Is we don't understand why they're pushing so hard. Yeah, we know in a certain technical way they're trying to get out, but they're going. They're what they're actually doing is going crazy, Eddie. Right? They think that they can escape from their fate. Um, but the whole thing of Burry, why is he is so freaked out? Is is he thinks they can't, right? If they get mm-hmm. out of the system, they'll just do what to the to the galaxy what they did to the solar system and they'll do it faster because they breathe faster than anybody right so all of that sort of hidden back uh motivation it's sort of less well expressed in we don't we we can see the battles happening but we don't quite understand um i mean i know that that's why it's there but i wanted more of like um feeling it from the alien's point of view, which is what we get a lot of in the first book. And that's why that visit to the planet with the doomed uh, space marines or whatever they are um, is so important. And I think 
it would have been very cool to have gone down to the museum. <laughs> right? In this book? In this book. And seen, would, yeah. you know, a stuffed uh, Space Marine <laughs> on the shelf just like we did in uh, one of those Larry Niven uh, books we did earlier. I like that. Yes, right. And then, then, then Victoria could bring it back as per her instructions. Right. I mean, yeah, the, they, they sort of give t- token lip service to it at the end of the book. Feels kind of rushed after all the mm-hmm. space battling stuff, but maybe there's a publisher deadline or something. But <laughs> maybe. I, I mean, it's entirely possible. They sold it as a thing and they got to get it out and all that stuff. Um, but they were, they were hot shit in the 80s, right, Paul? Uh, what, Liver and Pornell? Yeah. They were like uh, doing. The 70s and 80s? Yeah. I mean, stuff with like uh, Lucifer's Hammer and. Yeah, and, yeah they uh, were like big, big, uh, I don't know, bookseller books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were hitting national, the New York Times bestseller lists every time. It was like Lucifer's Hammer's football. When it meant yeah, something, they, too, right? <laughs> when, when, the, when, it, when it meant something, too. Yeah. So, yeah. at for in the, in, the de- in the day, I mean. That's why I, I kept seeing their novels everywhere. So, yeah, that's why. I'm Now I'm tr- trying to remember what was the first Pornell Niven novel I read. It might have been Footfall. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, I, and I quickly started, yeah, like I mean, explore. the people who were not reading they, science fiction were reading them, which is kind of weird, right? Right, right. Because, because Especially they were, in, for, uh, yeah, what was the – Lucifer's Hammer is very, is very techno-thriller, so you don't yeah. need science fiction to understand – to uh, appreciate, you could just go for it as an airplane novel. That's right. You could read on and an that's airplane. what they were, right? They were airport novels. Uh, airport, thank you. You yeah. see them at the <laughs> at the checkout stand, and they they're thick, and they they'll last the long flight or whatever. Yep. So, and they worked very well for, in that regard, and they they sold like box office because when 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 they when they meshed well together, even with Pornell's super military stuff, they. They, they they made a long uh, plane flight read bearable. So mm-hmm. now apparently, I found, you know, that's why I'm saying is that it it was totally readable. This book, this second book, and there was stuff where I was like, okay, get on with it. I know it's space battles. Is this gonna all be space? Battles? Okay, it's all space battle. It's still readable. I haven't read it, but apparently there's a third novel in the sequence written by Pornell's daughter. Did I, you know that? I, I saw that on the Wikipedia. I saw a note about it on the Wikipedia, too. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not in favor of families taking over the legacy of their... <laughs> yeah, I know nothing <laughs> about it. <laughs> except that it's set around the same time as uh, as uh, Gripping Hand and set a little later. Uh, with, that, so with that in mind, um, I want you to firmly make this commitment with me today. Both of you. When, okay. when we do do Dune, we will not do the oh sequels. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay. I, yeah, no, we can one. We can one and done Dune. Good, because I, I I see merit in some things in Dune Messiah, but I do not think it is worth pursuing. My son is so into Dune right now. He's he's reading. Uh, he's just eating them like reading them like popcorn. He's reading them all. You see, so is he reading the. Herbert ones, or is he reading the uh, the? But the he's still written? he's still in in the Herbert ones. Good. Is he going to go for the seek for the ones written by the son and? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how. And how him, fun and him protector. Go. Don't give him. Don't let him take any more. <laughs> <laughs> and the protector. I'll be the protector. 
Uh, Use the gripping hand of the protector and stop him from reading anymore. <laughs> Did you notice how similar though the the uh, pack were to the moat to the Absolutely, Modi? that's one. Uh, yep. That's why I think uh, we had to uh, talk about it because it, it mm-hmm. it's striking how it focus on the family, focus on the family, <laughs> yeah, or all of it, and, and, and there's the fact that they're they're very. Uh, you know, they have very little free will. This is a real issue that Larry Nivens that mm-hmm. he's tackling over and over again. Yeah, um, he's just coming at it from different angles. In yeah. Ring World, right? And and uh, in Ring World Engineers with the Protector and um and even even think like e- even though that we don't maybe think of it instantly, but just think of how uh, the puppeteers are so much like. Uh, the Modis, not in the breeding sense, but in the Modi mediators. That, that's right. You know, uh-huh. the, Niven's great at making aliens because yeah. okay, so what he does is he takes some aspect of something we're very familiar with and says, "What mm-hmm. does this mean when we maximize it? it? Turn this into a bigger focus, right?" And that really does change things and make make for interesting thinking. And, and that's what happens in a really interesting book when Larry Niven gets a hold of it. So, so yeah, so I think the aliens in uh, The Legacy of Harad are definitely uh, Niven's because – okay, I will spoil a little bit. Please do. You guys okay, so, so basically they land on this planet. They find these um, little um, – they find these fish-like things which are eating – the fish that they're eating, fish-like things they're eating, so they decide to kill them all because you know they're 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 screwing up their breeding pools and like okay these things are dangerous. So then it turns out that these aquatic things have a basically kind of like a think of the, okay like a pack protector sort of second stage. So by killing all the small ones, they let the other ones start to grow to full size so they wind up getting besieged by these by basically or or even ready what you put it out modi warriors attacking their camp lots of them right because they they screwed up the ecology so they got to deal with hundreds of hundreds of these things attacking this this poor little uh colony so so now my mind's wondering okay pack protector Versus Bodhi Warrior versus <laughs> Please do not write this book, Paul. Grendel's basically the name of the they give for the uh, adult stage of the of the uh, of the creature. So Grendel versus Modi Meteor versus Pack Protector. Which most Warrior? Not which would Modi, win? Modi Meteor. Yeah. Me- no, no, mo- no. Warrior yeah. versus Protector versus Grendel. Who wins? Uh I think I'd give it to the protector because the protector's smarter than the two of them. But Grendels <laughs> are not dumb because we do get a couple of points of view in Legacy of Harat from a Grendel's perspective. And the humans think they're just dumb, dumb uh, warrior creatures, but they're not. They're actually intelligent, which is an interesting little wrinkle, and it has to be Niven's doing. But they're I not. Wish, I wish there had been um, some more interaction from, like. If we had seen the world from a master's perspective, we only get it through the mediators, right? The the masters are standing there in the room, but that's not what I mean. I mean, like, it should have been written from their perspective somehow. I think that that would have been much more interesting, because when we're in Protector, 
uh, we do get it from a protector's perspective, right? Very mm-hmm. close to it. Inside their brain, yeah. Yeah, and it, it gives you a real sense of what's going on. Because we, we're only getting it through the mediators. We're getting it through the, I guess, the text. But it's not the same thing. And that, that would have been really interesting. Because uh, I almost understand what the watchmakers are about, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get I get them, right? I, I understand the mediators. Um, I don't think the warriors were particularly well uh, fleshed out. Um, but... The Masters were there from the beginning, and I guess the Warriors were too, but Masters were there from the beginning, and they were much You mean more... Time Demons? They're not, they're no Warriors, they're just Time Demons. Well, don't they show up at, uh, in the battle scene where he's got the, he's got the laser gun that doesn't shoot any laser that's visible, it's like an x-ray laser or something, and he's like carving up cars full of, uh, uh Warriors? They, he doesn't yeah. call them Warriors, but... Yeah, they're yeah, there. They're I just, they I'm don't just joking names. because for, mm-hmm. for most of that book, he has, oh, yeah, we have no warriors. Yeah, but like, I don't even think those are time demons. That, right? He just, yeah. Yeah. No, no, they do call him that because, because they, they, okay. Yep. Yeah, because when they, they look at the footage from the probe and they see the warrior floating out and they try to go for that lie, oh, yeah, they were demon worshippers. It's like, how stupid do you think yeah. you are? Well, demon I, I kind of think that the time machine element should have been addressed as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too, uh, I mean, the whole idea of Crazy Eddie is a great idea, right? It's a really good idea that, you know, I was thinking I should go around when somebody says something ridiculous. I just point at him and say, Crazy Eddie, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like, like the end of uh, with Donald Sutherland at the end of um, it's that uh, uh, invasion of the body. Invasion of the body. Oh, right. yes. He <laughs> just this we are not of the body. <laughs> uh, the one from Star Trek or whatever. Right. Right, because yeah. Crazy Eddie is a concept like that, where it's like you're just trying to break, <laughs> you're trying to break uh, the system so badly that you are you're out of control, and that's really useful. Um, the Crazy Eddie concept is amazing. It is amazing. It's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, the fact that they they have it as a as a part of their cycle, right? There there's this guy who's out there. He's a Crazy Eddie, uh, or a Crazy Bernie, right? literally that uh, that but see that actually applies right um what do they call bernie sanders right he's a fairy duster why because he wants this he wants to make uh education free in the united states how much is that going to cost that's going to cost uh 64 billion dollars right oh how much did donald trump increase the military budget for oh 54 billion dollars Huh, fairy duster. No, right? See, the the fact that you can accuse somebody of being a fairy duster for wanting to, you know, not do things as we've always done them, inevitably, you must allow the bloat of the military continuously. He's a fairy duster. Crazy Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy Bernie. Right. Uh, so thinking about things that way uh, is very useful. And uh, I, that's why I like... Uh, even when it's a not a great book, uh, if Larry Niven had a hand in it, there's something interesting in it, I think.
This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.